Computer, initialize Holosuite. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 24, The Quickening. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Though, again, Twitter is now called X, so X now. <laughs> you can find this on X Twitter. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. We are finally back across all of the various uh, platforms. Uh, Twitter will need to be severely updated because there's just, you know, uh, a fundamental lack of what we had before. Uh, I'm trying to get everything back up to speed, of course. But yes, you will find us once again on X, not Twitter, on X. I don't think I will ever get used to saying that it's, it was... In my life as Twitter for far too long for me to now call it X. So it will just, yeah. that's just how we're going to have to deal with it. Right. Another way to mark how old I am is that I will forever refer to it as Twitter. <laughs> and for everyone else who refers to it and is used to it as X, there you go. I don't think anyone will. I think that was a huge mistake, as I've said before. Yeah. So, but anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Um, <laughs> well, as we go and get started here, closing out the fourth season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, um, we will be talking about the episode The Quickening, as David has already said. An interesting episode, to say the least. Again, something I feel like I say a lot. Um, this is also an episode that I tend to skip in my rewatch, and we will get into that, uh, I'm sure, as we cover everything else in this episode. Um, but before we do, David, how was your week? Yeah, that's fine. Nothing much to report. Uh, I did finish that uh, book on 9-11 I talked about, the Fallen Rise book. Uh, very good book. Very, um, really, It really gets you in there with some of the details about some of the stories of what happened that day. Um, some things I hadn't known. I like I didn't know how many people jumped, for example, from the buildings as they were burning because they couldn't get down. Um, it's very sad to think that that was... It actually tells actually, you that quite a number of people. The number died of people. Yeah. And yeah. it told you the, the number of people. Uh, it was over a hundred, uh, several, nearly two hundred people. They think jumped from the buildings um, to their deaths. So very sad. Um, in fact, one one of the firefighters who died that day was actually killed by someone who jumped because they fell on him. Um, oh wow! Yeah. So it's stuff like that. Just you know, really makes you. Again, I mean, like, you don't relive trauma because you enjoy it, but you relive it to remember why it impacted you and, and to understand how it affected other people. And, and it was a big moment for all of us who were, you know, alive and aware of what was going on that day. And I was in middle school when that was going on. So anyway, not to rehash it, but to say I enjoyed the book. Um, glad I read it. I also read uh, Agatha Christie's Halloween Party which is apparently the basis for the new Hercule Poirot, Kenneth Branagh movie, um, Haunting in Venice. I have not seen the new movie yet, though apparently it has, I guess, maybe just character names as the only things that really carry over from the book to the movie, because from the trailer I can already tell the book is very, very different than what the movie is going to be. I look forward to seeing it. I, I loved reading Hercule Poirot mystery novels when I was a kid, so I enjoy rereading some more as an adult. Um, I haven't loved Kenneth Branagh's take on the character, and on his. I don't think the movies have been quite as good as I would have hoped for. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll still go see this one just because I, I, you know, I want to support the idea of the character and the books and and all that. Again, having loved the character as a kid, um, so that I remember was watching me. them. I remember watching those, um, the Agatha Christie uh, televised. You know the the you know they took her stories and obviously developed them into various 
show incarnations, yes, like on the yeah. BBC uh, Masterpiece Theater was the one I was thinking of. As a matter of fact, that did a lot of them, and um, that was how my mother and I used to spend a, a lot of time when I was growing up. Was watching these, you know, classic stories brought to life and whatever else. It was great. Um, I, I loved them. Now I have not read. Um, officially read a, an Agatha Christie novel or anything like that, and maybe I should, uh, especially considering what you just said about, you know, how it is so vastly different, um, you know, what you see on screen versus what we get, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'd be very interested to check out a couple of them just to see, because, I mean, obviously they're quite um, yeah. famous, timeless, um, so definitely worth a look. Um, I don't think that I'll get it done before, you know, the movie. Is the movie already out, do you know, or is it coming out soon? A Haunting in Venice came out this weekend. Okay. So yes, it is out as of now. Um, when we're recording this, that is. Okay. Um, so yes, and uh, I would say that yeah, the um, the one that came out, the first movie that came out that Kenneth Branagh did was Murder on the Orient Express, which is also one of her classic. It's one of her classic books. Like if there yeah, any that's like Harrow that's the stories, one. Yeah, that's yeah. I was gonna yeah, say that's probably exactly. a good one. The very if, recognizable you know, title. Yes, and it's got a great plot about what happened, like how the murder you know, murder takes place on the Orient Express. What that is and why is a very unique and great murder story. Um, then um, and then and then there were none is another one of her most popular ones. That one doesn't have Hercule Poirot as the detective. It's set on a basically a deserted island with ten strangers, and they slowly get picked off one by one. Until there were none left, and it's it's kind of a scary one because you're like, wait a minute, what's happening? <laughs> All these people are just dying. <laughs> um, but uh, apparently, well, I won't say anything else. That's a good one if you ever get to if you have to pick one if you have to start anywhere. Those are the two to start with. Um, those are great ones to to pick up. Um, but yeah, okay. so that was my week. How about you? What, what were you up to? Uh, a whole lot of the same, just working and trying to get you know. Uh, clearing some stuff out you know it's not necessarily uh spring or fall cleaning or whatever term at time it is a year you know, you know whatever it is but i felt like there was I just had this intense urge to just kind of like go through my place and get rid of a bunch of stuff so we've been gathering things and what we can donate we plan to donate and what needed to just totally go we're doing that as well um obviously continuing uh the workouts and everything else and also we celebrated a you know special uh five-year anniversary um very personal uh moment you know for myself and my my daughter and the fact that we have you know um officially uh been together or how else you want to say you know uh Went, I went through, obviously, a custody battle, did all that stuff, you know, that was quite an extensive process, but it was officially five years ago that, you know, right. we were reunited and so forth, so uh, gotcha. we we did that, so great moment, lots of, you know, uh, you know, messages and stuff from people and all that other kind of stuff, but yeah, we, we had a good time with that, and other than that, we've just been uh, moving right along, so... Um, but yeah, we're not here to talk about all that and not trying to get all weepy about, you know, family stuff and, and all that. We are here to talk about uh, the quickening. And uh, would you like to give the recap for this episode or do you want me to do it? I, I could think, do it. Um, I was going to say, I think I did it last week, so it's definitely yeah. your turn. Okay, fair enough. All right. Uh, we'll quickly start by mentioning that this is uh, directed by Rene Albergenois, who plays Odo. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because he doesn't have much of a part in this episode, except at the very beginning. He and Kira uh, and O'Brien and actually Worf confront uh, Cork, who has somehow made it so that the station is playing ads for Quark's. And the replicators are also when they when they give out drinks, even on the Defiant, the drinks come in cups that say corks on them. And so Worf has something to say to Quark about that. But that's the last time we see any of those characters except Kira. Uh, so we'll move on from there. Um, so Kira is going to the Gamma Quadrant with Bashir and Dax. Uh, they're doing some scientific something or other. It doesn't really matter because when they get to the Gamma Quadrant. They uh, they hear a distress beacon asking someone to come help this particular planet because they have a medical emergency. 
when they arrive, uh, Bashir and Dax uh, beam down, and they find a planet completely devastated by a blight. Everyone has these lesions on their faces that um, is a part of a disease that everyone has and will kill everyone randomly. It doesn't it doesn't kill everyone at a certain point. It just at some point it has a quickening stage. It quickens as the episode we have here, the quickening. It quickens and that lesion turns red, very painful, and it kills the person uh, usually within a couple days. Um, so when they get to the planet, everyone's affected by it. The civilization is effectively destroyed. They're, everyone's just basically living in the ruins of a culture that has long since uh, felt fallen apart. And uh, they find a well, who they think is a doctor at first, but turns out this man named Trevian, who is a man who has lived with the Blight longer than most, who has basically a place of where people can come to die with, uh, when, once they quicken, they can take a medical herb treatment that kills them uh, shortly after they drink it. So basically, when you're going to die because your quickening has arrived, you can go to his place. He will allow you to uh, be there with friends and family. You can, for example, be in a bed for the first time, as this one gentleman says before he dies. Uh, have a meal, be with friends and family, and then he drinks the, the herbal potion and shortly thereafter dies now of course Bashir as our doctor of our crew is pretty offended by the idea that everyone just gives into it that there's no one trying to solve this uh, blight but as Trevian says you know they used to be a culture that was had technology and tried solving this and they never were able to um, you know the best thing they can do now is just give people a swift death once they quicken so Bashir and Dax um, convince Kira to let them stay on the planet for a week to try and solve this blight. Uh, Kira does uh, take the runabout to a different solar system because they are worried about uh, some uh, Jim Hadar in the area. So he and Dax stay for a week to try and help these people. Uh, they are, you know, of course, initially kind of rejected because no one thinks there is a cure at all. They've had people come around before saying they have a cure, but they were just taken advantage of, and so uh, they don't trust that Bashir can actually do what he says he can. But he says, I can't make any promises, but I will do what I can. Uh, within the week that he works on people, uh, there's also a young lady who uh, joins them. She is a pregnant uh, woman. Uh, her husband has already died, uh, but she wants to live long enough to see her child born, and so is hoping that Bashir can uh, solve the, uh, this blight. Um, they are able to eventually get enough data to start making, uh, some attempts at a cure. Unfortunately, it turns out that the medical equipment they're using, uh, somehow causes the blight to get worse. You know, the, yeah, the EM, the EM field that the, that the Starfleet equipment generates, uh, seems to enhance the mutation of the disease. Exactly. It up. Exactly. And so some of the people who had gone to Bashir, uh, even if, you know, they didn't go to Trevian, the, you know, the man who will give them the swift, comfortable death, um, they didn't go to him in order to try and help Bashir. They unfortunately die even more painful deaths than they seem to have otherwise have suffered. And so Bashir is um, de pretty devastated by this. And so when Kira comes back, he says, I'm going to stay longer and keep working on this. And so Dax and Kira go back to Deep Space Nine. Bashir stays. And the woman that he'd been helping, uh, who was pregnant, she uh, quickens. So she's about to die. And so he says, if you can hold out two weeks, I can uh, help you get your, give, I can help you give birth to your baby. Uh, so you might die because you've quickened, but I can at least save your child. Uh, she holds on long enough to give birth to her child, and the child comes out without the blight. It turns out that the treatment that Bashir had been giving her was not helping her directly, but was being absorbed through the placenta by the baby, and so the baby comes out cured. And so Bashir goes to Trevian and the rest of the society and says, I have a way for your next generations to live. Uh, they will not have the blight. I can't save anyone who currently does, but your next generations will live. And uh, so he is at least partially successful. 
Trevian, who he, Bashir was worried, was just, you know, obsessed with death as opposed to actually wanting life. Uh, Trevian is going to be the one to lead this new uh, policy of helping the babies that are going to be born. And so Bashir goes back to the station, is uh, commended by Cisco for his efforts, but Bashir is continuing to work in the dark even, trying to find a true cure for the disease so that everyone can be cured, even though uh, as far as he, he's done what he can, but he's not satisfied with his efforts so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'll just say before we move on that I think this is a good episode. It's a hard one. It's definitely a deeper episode. It's not a light and airy episode yeah. like some episodes can be. Um, and so overall, I, I want to say I liked it. But yeah, did you, was there anything you wanted to add, Perry? No, I absolutely agree. Um, Like I said before, this is an episode that typically I uh, would skip, but a lot of times I, I, you know, when I watched it today, um, I recognized that I think part of the reason that I skipped it before was, you know, when I was younger, I didn't want to be bogged down with such a, you know, moral dilemma, heavy hitting episode. I like the, the adventure, the, the, ships and the fighting and the phasers firing and all that kind of stuff and so when you're you know 11 12 years old and 15 whatever you know you don't want to watch stuff like this but then as you get older and you know you're exposed to more things and you know the world and everything else like these stories kind of resonate a bit more with you and so this is probably the first time i've actually gone and watched this particular episode in a good number of years i'd probably say it's been more than uh even 10 years since i've actually like watched it again and uh, so yeah i was very aware of the fact that um my perspective on the episode had changed so much um you know bashir has like i I think of him as a as a good guy and overall good character but not necessarily one that is a particular favorite of mine um but in this episode he really kind of highlighted a lot of the qualities that we've talked about about him before on this show and um he really just kind of got his chance to shine we also got to see a bit more of jadzia here and kind of seeing that um that grounding effect that she seen, that she has on everybody. I mean, we obviously saw that a lot with her relationship with Cisco, but now to see her doing that here for uh, Bashir as well was also um, really nice. And again, it gives us a chance to just see more of Jadzia develop a bit too. We haven't really seen a lot of her either. So um, these are two characters in particular, Bashir, Jadzia, that we just haven't really had a lot to do with lately. So it's right. nice to see them, you know, uh, pop back up right um now obviously there are a lot of allegories for this story of course did you was there anything when you were watching it did you kind of feel like you were picking up what they were laying down there like what this was like in that framing context of this was in the 90s and what was going on in the 90s did you feel like you got what they were trying to say there or not uh in terms of 90s references i will admit my ignorance again i was only five years old when this episode came out I will just say this, that I, while I do believe we have talked about um, medically uh, induced or medically medical assistance in death, mm-hmm. uh, medical death before, I can't remember which episode that might have come medically, up. Uh, yeah, medically assisted suicide. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode definitely addresses that again. Again, I think we've talked about it before, but this episode yes, we have. it up. Um, and uh, I... There have been developments in the world since I think the last time we talked about it. So, like, for example, in Canada, they have something called MADE now. It's called Medical Assistance in Dying, uh, which I think is a real problem because they basically have really opened up the the medical system up there to – you can get an assisted suicide for, a, for really a low bar, I would say. Not just you have a terminal illness, we don't have a cure, you're dying, you're already dying, you're in extreme pain, let's help you just, you know, move on. It's like, if you have emotional distress and you don't want to deal with it, then we'll help you bump yourself off. And that, I think that is the example that people have always gone to of this is why medical assistance and dying made is the perfect example of a of of this of this type of you know assisted suicide going too far you know if we're going to allow it at all it needs to be under extremely limited circumstances as in like you're already dying because if you if you cheapen basically the argument is if you cheapen life to the point where a suicide on any level is considered acceptable 
At what point do people start losing the right to make that decision for themselves? Because now you're just an inconvenience to everyone around you. Mm -hmm. And so we're just going to make that decision for you. Because that does seem to be an issue that Canada yeah. is starting to approach. Uh, I, I heard a similar story of something that happened in uh, England recently. Uh, we can get into that. But, yeah, do you remember yeah. which episode it was that this came up before? Um, All 100 episodes we've done. <laughs> yeah, um, I know that it was, I, I believe it was a, a season one episode. But um, I'm just drawing a blank as to which one. Um, but we, I remember us talking in particular, and we were going to talk about him again, of course, Dr. Jack Kevorkian, because this would have been something that would have been around that time period as well. He was a major uh, proponent as, and supporter of physician-assisted suicide. Um, he, you know, all records told, he did some on the, on the order of 100-plus of these physician-assisted suicides and right. uh, was even sentenced to some jail time in the late 90s. Um, behind him doing this. Now, this episode kind of tackles the uh, more fundamental part of his belief in physician-assisted suicide, which is basically if a person is suffering from an incurable, incredibly painful disease that is going to kill them anyway, that the patient has the right to go out on their own terms and with as less... As, as little pain as possible. And we see that here with right. Trevian in this episode. He is not trying to, you know, necessarily just give you a free pass to kill yourself. It's they're all suffering from this disease. It's a very painful disease as we see throughout the episode. And he's giving them this option of dying with dignity. You get to have this nice place and you have a lavish meal and you get to spend your time with your friends and family. And before you're reduced to just a withering mass of pain and, and, stuff all over you and everything else you can take this medicine which is basically like falling asleep it puts you to sleep and then that's it you know so it's a nice alternative to what we see later on with people who don't take Trevian's option and end up dying from it we see them in bed screaming and howling with pain and convulsions and all the rest of it you know before they die so yeah it would almost yeah. seem like especially if you've been living with this for a few generations, as we know that they have, that that would be a better, you know, a preferable alternative to, to some people. Um, so, yeah, that, that was kind of what they were going for on one aspect of this of this episode, that should people um, embrace this kind of peaceful death solution or should they be more like, you know, Dr. Bashir and hold on to hope and try to work to find a cure or even if there is no cure to just live your life as much as possible because you never know what's going to happen next, you know? Right. And then, of course, the other aspect that was uh, here was uh, their allegory for the AIDS pandemic, you know, the AIDS epidemic, however you want to uh, phrase that, you know, in the... Early 90s, of course, you know, AIDS was definitely the hot button issue. It was featured on a lot of different shows. Again, that's something that we've talked about on this show um, a couple of times, you know, I've, through my uh, run through of ER, of course, it was the hot button uh, episodes uh, there as well. Again, incurable disease that can definitely lead to debilitating pain and, and you know, a slow kind of drawn out death and you know instead of facing that with um ostracization from society and you know a loss of respect and dignity and so forth you know there is this other thing here that you could potentially do for that so uh, this episode kind of deals with that particular taboo as well now do they fully embrace the aids allegory in this episode no, not necessarily, because in this society, everyone has this disease. There's no people here who don't have it, are immune to it, and therefore are like looking down on other people who have it. Or right. and and it's not necessarily a proponent of any um, particular lifestyle or anything like that. Like you know, as AIDS was kind of uh, pushed into the mainstream back in the '90s, that was also one of the things that came with the um, with the coverage of, of AIDS and the sensationalism of AIDS, um, you know, but that's not something that we see in this episode at all. Um, so I would say that, yeah, this kind of, I think they just borrowed certain notes from it, but I wouldn't necessarily say this is their, their AIDS episode. 
Yeah, until you said AIDS, I wouldn't have made the connection because everyone is affected by it. There is no stigma um, associated with anyone. I mean, Bashir and Dax just walk in there. They're not afraid that they're going to catch this disease because they think the physiology is different. And they're right about that. Um, so, yeah, the uh, the allegory of HIV-AIDS, um, until you say anything, it wouldn't have come to my mind. Um, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, they, they just walk in. I, I, I have to say I was a bit surprised when they were just walking in. I was like, guys, do you not have hazmat this, suits or anything? <laughs> this <laughs> is this like it, it's ty- it's a typical it's a typical Star Trek trope that, you know, no matter what, that our, our heroes, when they beam down, they are fine no matter yeah. what. Like, there's not even a worry that they're going to beam down and breathe in a stray microbe that's going to cause their heads to explode or something. Like, they're just – they're okay. You know, yeah. it's whatever. Now, you know, they've gone through, and if you watch all of Trek, you know that there's enough kind of like background lore here and there that lets you know that, you know, they do preliminary scans of planets, and they're reasonably sure that it's all right and whatever else. But we also know that those scans are, you know, are nonsense. Because they have the time, they will beam down and find something malevolent or whatever that's quickly trying to kill everybody. And, um, you know, in this episode here, you know, they, they do beam down to the planet and, and we're not told if any particular scans are run. We would just assume that this is something that becomes like standard. We don't need to have it said every single right. time. It's like standard procedure, you right. know, but it, you know, doesn't tell them the nature of what the disease is. So knowing that the people were in distress, cause I mean, they were answering a distress call, knowing that they were in distress from a disease, the fact that they just beam down standard uniforms and some equipment yeah no hazmat suits no masks no nothing um yeah it's kind of incredulous but like i said star trek does this all the time we saw even in the episode uh when they had the aphasia virus where everybody was speaking weird words and whatever else you know right Uh they were just walking around and touching people and uh, oh you're affected okay let me get real close to you and pull you along to wherever else you know yes yeah this was in there with his son and he wasn't even sick yet and it's like come on now bro you're just making it hard you're just making it worse for yourself went straight up to his son and put his hands on his face and did the whole you know loving head touch i mean great bonding moment for sure but i'm like I know when my kid's sick, the last thing I want is for her to touch me. I'm just like, I'm, I love you, but please go to your room. Like, get away from me. Right. You know, but yeah, they just, like, that is a common Star Trek trope. Uh, oh, you're sick? Please come stand right next to me. Um, oh, whole alien planet full of infected people? Let me beam down in just my uniform. Maybe there's, like, some kind of magic uh, Trek fiber, Starfleet fiber that repels a lot of viruses that we just don't know about yet right and so that's why they yeah. were sick yeah I, I certainly again this is another example of they're working on a budget tv show making them do a bunch of weird extra stuff and whereas you can just wave it away scientifically as a part of your sci-fi show all right fine um however i will say part of the reason i like this episode is because it's bittersweet by the mm-hmm. end uh, Bashir has only been partially successful. You know, he, the episode ends with him in his his uh, workspace, working on the next phase. You know, how do I get a cure? He didn't solve the problem back on the planet for everyone. He only gave them uh, a chance to recover mm-hmm. for the next generation. Um, next generation, haha. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. He says it's a it's a vaccine and it will cure the the pregnant or not the pregnant women, but it will cure their babies. If they're pregnant, the babies right. will be fine, but it, it right. does nothing for the current population. Exactly. So even if you're a kid who was born before they got there, um, sorry. Uh, yeah, you, literally the, the day before everything that happened. Yeah. But uh, the reason I bring up it's bittersweet is because when, when um, Bashir is talking to Kira, he's like, well, we were, he's to say, hey, let us stay there for a week and come back for us in a week and then we'll have solved it. Or at least we can try and solve it. And he quotes, uh, and it must have been an episode that's happened in the past. I'm sure it is an episode we can go to. But like there was this one planet where it only took us an hour to solve the problem and we had it figured out within 24 hours or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, yep, 
that's that's a that's a nice wink and nod to next generation and the you know the trouble that we see with a lot of the stuff there and as we've talked right. about on the or show before anything. yeah yeah sure we can say deep space nine has also done that a time or two they've solved oh, yeah. the problem pretty easily pretty quickly so i like the fact that bashir kind of fails not that he truly 100 percent fails but he really doesn't it doesn't come to him immediately he doesn't get the right answer there are weird things like how in the world does the 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 electrical equipment cause the disease to get worse just stuff like that how could he have known he beats himself up like how i should have known and dax is like you couldn't have known quit quit beating yourself up so i i do i really do like the fact that this is a bittersweet episode that things don't go right for bashir i am a little concerned though i do think that for example him and Dax all by themselves not being attacked or like before he fails them just being attacked by someone like, Hey, you guys look weird. Get away from us. We don't trust you. Or, um, you have some weird boxes. Maybe I can use that for myself. So I'm going to steal it from you. Like basically what I'm getting at is that they, they never suffer violence by people who are desperate. I, I see what you're saying. Um, I feel like in a real situation that could have gotten a little more hectic is what I'm getting at. And so, again, I'm not trying to – I guess I'm nitpicking here for that reason. Just like, ah, I think it would have been a little more hairy, especially because one of the people they meet when they first get there who they later have more interactions with is a man who says, y'all shouldn't be here. You better just leave. And then when he, when Bashir goes and asks people to give him uh, blood samples, um, a group of people are all around him. And they say, well, like, we've had charlatans promise us cures before. You know, and things didn't go well for them in the past. How can we trust you? Um, so in that moment, that could have turned violent. You know, a mob getting angry, getting whipped up into a frenzy. Or after things fail and all the people die at Bashir's little, um, you know, makeshift hospital. Like, basically what I'm getting at is I yeah. feel like Bashir was in danger if this had been a real situation. Like, this could have gone sideways fast in the real world. Um, and I also, the reason I bring that up is because I do think it was a good suggestion when I think Kira said, like, we could go, you know, tell the Federation there's this planet here and they could send a whole team. And Bashir is basically like, I could do it all by myself. <laughs> Give me a well, week. Um, which, again, I'm saying I like that it's bittersweet. It yeah. didn't go his way. Um, but at the same time, I'm also like, yeah, it, it was a reasonable suggestion to say, let's get, let's get a whole it, it group absolutely of people. Was. <laughs> and again, you know, the, that's also another common trope with Star Trek is, you know, somewhere along the way, someone drops in a perfectly sound, reasonable solution, but because it is seen as like a long term and we're not getting a resolution right away, it's like, no, less, we're, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. <laughs> You know, and so, and even in this episode, we don't really know how long he stayed there. Like, I mean, we know that he was there for at least a week, but that was not enough time to affect anything. And Kira comes back and she takes Dax um, and, and they leave. You know, and as far as we know, they went back to, I mean, actually she says, when you're ready to go, contact the station and we'll have a runabout out here to get you in a number of days. So he could have been there another another week, another three weeks, uh, a couple of months. We don't really know. Uh, my questions on that are, of course, you know, like, does he not have jobs and duties to perform on the station like, exactly and he didn't thought, submit yeah. any report to cisco or anybody to say <laughs> that like he's taking a sabbatical or whatever he just said i can't leave these people and stayed yeah. i was like wait a minute you think that it's going to be okay that the chief medical officer of the space station is just gone for a couple of months like yeah. no under the no circumstances virus reappears on the station and suddenly Right. Bashir is not there to help. Yeah. Right. Like, what would have happened then if some uh, particular medical anomaly that he had experience with popped up and they couldn't get to him, you know, or if the Jem'Hadar who were doing their patrols for the Dominion in the area suddenly shifted their attention and now that whole area got cordoned off and now he was not just on the edge of Dominion space, as they say in the beginning of the episode, but now they're right. in the thick of it. Like, right. there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong here in the episode. You're, you're right on that um, right. when it comes to the violence. I always took the in-universe, you know, like they don't really give this explanation, but it's kind of like just how I felt about what we were seeing of the people. Um, the reason why he wasn't attacked was that I think that the fight had been beaten out of them a long time ago. You Fair know, enough. they, they, uh, 
no one really seemed to be doing anything of any kind of importance except for Trevian. You know, everybody else just kind of seemed to be existing, waiting to die. So, you know, and even they say in the episode, they have this whole culture now that's built around the quickening and having this moment and being, you know, at this very peaceful and tranquil point of death, you know, as much as possible. So I just think that they didn't, the reason that they didn't attack them was because it just, it wasn't in their nature anymore. They'd been suffering from this disease for 200 something years, you know? So I think that they just, you know, it didn't occur to them anymore. It's like, what's the point in fighting when you know, I mean, you know, you're going to die. You and to know? be fair, there's not like we see violence happen somewhere else and therefore it, it would make sense for it to happen and they're like, here. You're right. Yeah. It, it's, right. And it's not like, yeah, it's not like we they beamed in and these people were like fighting in the corner somewhere and somebody got stabbed or something in another area of the city. We, we hear none of that. I mean, it just really feels like this. it's a whole culture that is just, they're waiting to die. They're, so, yeah, I don't see that as... I don't see them putting up much of a fight for anything. Now, yes, they do threaten them with, you know, hey, if you come in here being a, a shuckster and offering false hopes and whatever else, then we're going to come after you. But even that has like an air of, oddly, in my opinion, has an air of hope about it. It's like, you know, we're giving you the opportunity now to leave. And if you do try to sell us a false bag of goods here, we'll, that's on, only then will we come after you, you right. know? Yeah, and and Bashir tells them right away. You know, he's not making any kind of promises or anything like that. So again, I think that that's another reason why they didn't really um, fight him. But they, I mean, they didn't they didn't embrace him either. You know, and they right. Um, yeah, there's a lot well, of that. It's, it's more like treating him with it. Yeah. Well, I, it's, I feel like it's more like indifference, and then you kind of reach a point where it's like, well, again, I'm going to well die anyway. Die. Right. I'm yeah. I'm going to die. So what's the what's the harm? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was really how, at least how I felt in watching the episode. Um, I also liked the fact that he had to stay there and that, you know, he had to fight to get any kind of acceptance, even if it was indifference. I I liked that he did not cure them magically through the powers of Starfleet. You know? <laughs> By the power of Starfleet, yes. I cure you. <laughs> I bless you in the name of the USS Enterprise. You're good. You know, like I, we didn't see any of that. As as we did see a lot of in Next Generation, just by the say three hail Picards, and you'll exactly, be yeah. exactly. <laughs> Tap your combats three times and you're healed. You know that's yeah. kind of how that went in that show a lot. You know, um, Data, do your magic, and yeah, exactly. You know that was it. So I was glad to see that that wasn't it. And this is one of the things that kind of became like a sticking point for the show, and why this show to me makes. Um, it makes all of Star Trek better, really, because it gives us a chance to see the complex storylines develop and especially the character development. We don't have to kind of piece things together from episode to episode and only getting little little bits here and there. We got to see the full development here of, of Julian's character. He right. was bored in the beginning of the episode. They were doing a survey mission. He didn't want to do it. You know, he was ready to go home. Now we see him. He's charged up and he's the brash young doctor who's going to solve it like that. You know, like he says, we saw, we came in and in an hour, we, we solved the problem. We can do that here. And even when he's, you know, when he comes up with his first round of inoculations, he's whispering to Jadzia, just think that young woman could be holding the cure and she doesn't even know it. Do you think we should tell her? I mean, he sounds like such a jackass, (laughs) you know, but um, and then of course he has his colossal you know fall and even in right. his failure he is uh, a bit pompous. He's like, yeah, there's no cure. The the Dominion saw it of that. There's not going to be a cure. And Jadzia is quick to remind him. It's like, yeah, your thought of coming in and being the great hero savior was arrogant, but right. it's also just as arrogant, if not more so, for you to think that because you didn't find the cure that there, there is, is no that. cure. So we see him humbled a couple of times here and him have to rededicate himself and we get to right. see him truly be a, a good doctor, a good yeah. scientist, a good person. And right. he does this thing that, you know, really just in time allows this woman to not only bear her child as she really wanted to do, but also see that her child will not suffer from this disease. You know, it's her final yeah. moment, but she does get that. She knows that her kid yeah. will live on and grow up and have a kids of his own and, and so forth. So, yeah, yeah. Um, he does a great thing. 
Um, but yeah, he does have to be brought low a couple of times in order for it to happen, which, as we know, David, that's like my favorite. When they're brought low to be, to be built back, that's oh, I, that's I'm totally that's there. <laughs> I'm totally there. You're just you're, apparently you're a little more willing to take to dock them down. I guess I should say it this way: the reason I have trouble writing stories is because I'm like the person who, when you get insulted, you know, a week later, you have the perfect comeback. I want all my characters to have the perfect comeback in the moment. <laughs> I want them to like have the right thing to say right then and there, as opposed to giving the characters the the flaws necessary to, you know, in the moment fail and then grow as a person. I want them to just be ready to kick butt and take names from the get go. Um, I understand. You're right, storytelling where they 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 get humbled and they they grow as a person is the best kind of storytelling, and that's why this is a great episode because Bashir goes through that journey. What it could have very easily been, um, I mean, I guess there's that episode where he was trying to remake the white for the Jim Hadar, and he failed there too. Um, he wasn't mm-hmm. able to get it done in time, if I remember correctly. But that was still different. No, he wasn't that able. Was to, he still... wasn't able to do it at all. It wasn't even a matter of doing it in time. He wasn't able to right. do it at all. And then he right. wanted to stay and keep working on it. But Bashir, but right. Miles was like, uh, "No, they're the enemy." Yes. and then and they're going to kill us. They're not gonna... right. Like and the then one to, guy we have is our friend, but the rest right. of them are our friends. And then to force yeah. his hand, O'Brien destroyed all his research. Right. He blew up everything to make him have to leave. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Bashir has been. Uh, <laughs> he's he's the character I would say who has had the most growth on the show, and I I like that because first season to now he's definitely <laughs> he's 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 learned a few things. He's definitely improved. Yeah. Um, quite a bit. He's not so he's not so naive and he's not so brash as he was, you know, and like this this episode is great for showing that because we get to see that. We get to see the first part of that where he's he's bored, he doesn't care about what's going on at first, then he's right there once again being this, you know, very uh impressionable young doctor who's just caught up in his own, you know, hubris and whatever else, you know, and then he has to be reminded. And then, you know, we just kind of see how that plays out later on. And, you know, at the very end of the episode, uh, here comes um, Cisco, and they have this very brief exchange, but I feel like it's a very important exchange because, you know, here was a moment where, again, typically we would have seen the, we would have seen Bashir kind of just, Beaming with pride. I, you know, I cured this thing. I, these people are going to be great from here on out and whatever else. But instead he's like, you know, he's, we see him still doing research. It's well after hours, you know, he's still working and he's just like, you know, Cisco congratulates him. He's like, you did, you did a great job there. There's, um, you know, the the people are going to, their, their kids are going to live. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, but people are still dying back there. I want to, I still have work to do. I still want to work on it. And and so Cisco leaves him to it. It's not a, it's not a big scene. It's not Cisco trying to convince him to take the pat on the back or anything like that, but it's like, they both recognize that there's been a fundamental shift here and go about your, go about your thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Cisco leaves him to his work. He commends him for what's a job well done. He says, thank you, but got more to do. And Cisco says, yeah. You know, basically, go yeah. at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In fact, Cisco I don't think Cisco is... really says anything. He just shows yeah. up and he's just like, "Yeah, they're dying, but their children won't." And then right. turns around and he walks out. You know, kind of like yeah. a gentle reminder that there is hope there. Don't think it hopeless. There is still hope. And then he leaves. So yeah. Um, short scene. I mean, we really don't see much of Cisco in this episode either. But at all. I mean, yeah. yeah. For what it's worth, I mean, he did. Uh, you know, once again, he kind of comes in and grounds us and then right. he's out you know right. so yeah he gets I his like cameo because he's part he's the captain yeah this is i i said right from the beginning when we, when we first started that what i wanted were episodes that focused on certain characters and really gave them like certain episodes focused on a certain character and i like this one was that for bashir uh this one did a good job with that uh, the other, uh, the character which we haven't named yet uh, was Akoria. She's the woman who was pregnant and yes. gave birth to the child at the end. I really liked her character. I was, let me put it this way. I was not, when this episode was first starting, we were going on. I was like, ah, they're just going to solve this problem fairly quick. You know, well, this is not going to be a big hassle. It's just going to be a quick solve the problem. 
uh, you know, maybe the Jim Hadar become to hassle them and they got to, you know, get away from yeah. Jim Hadar. Um, but it turned into something else. And that really is focused on uh, Ikoria, played by Ellen Wheeler. I don't know what else she's been in, but um, her uh, her disposition is always sweet and kind. You know, she says, yes. um, you know, when I she you can tell she had a husband that she loved. And it's sad he's gone. He had done a, a drawing on a small, like a stone. And she says to Dax that he had made a, 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 on the side of a building, he had done a full, full scale portrait of what he thought their world was like before the blight uh, as a way to give people hope. And that this is the first time she's felt hope since he had died. Um, so it's, it's great. You know, she was a good character and her death is the most poignant part because you know, she's been pregnant. She's living, she's, she's been fighting to get, you know, to have her child. And it's, it's super sad when she dies because she does give birth to her child, but that mm -hmm. takes whatever energy she had left. And so Bashir again, can't, he, in that moment, he both realizes that he's been successful and she dies right away. And it's super sad, super, um, again, bittersweet moment. Um, and those are, I think, I think bittersweet moments are what really makes stories, like those are the real moments that stories really, really work. Like that's what we really want. I think is that moment where, you know, something is lost, but something is gained. Um, and yeah, this, this is an episode that got that, that really got that, uh, emotion across, uh, which is why I think it's, it's a hard one. Like I can, I can honestly say, I understand why anyone would skip this episode in rewatches in terms of just, I want to casually turn on the TV and watch an episode. Like you say, you sometimes do. This would not it's, be the one. This is not a casual yeah, watch. This is definitely one of those, if you, like, especially if you haven't seen the show or haven't seen the show in a long time, if you were to select this as the casual watch episode, you're going to find yourself going, wait, what? Like, what happened? Right. <laughs> let me let me go back. I, I missed that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ellen Wheeler does a great job here in invoking that kind of, um, she's, it's almost ethereal with her sweetness and her optimism and the way that she wants to uh, have this baby and the signification. Wow. What a word. Um, the significance of the baby um, for the connection to her husband and the potential future and all of these things, this baby has come to uh, represent for her life and uh, also her death, you know, and like, you know, before they showed up, you know, she still wanted to have the baby. She right. just, you know, knew that she was going to die. You know, do you knew that she right. knew that was going to happen? Right. So um, yeah, it's, I will give her a, a lot of credit because she helps to give us the major emotional element of the show that was missing. I mean, watching Bashir struggle with a medical problem um, would have been, I guess, interesting, but without any kind of like connection, anything that makes it, you know, really like makes the stakes high enough, I guess, wouldn't have made this uh, a comeback episode. You know, you wouldn't right. want to watch this one again. But yeah. she gives us that. Her excellent portrayal there of, you know, she just she just wants to be a mom to her kid. She just wants her kid to live. She just, you know, like all of that and watching how she goes from resigning herself to this awful fate to having hope for something better for herself and her kid. Like, it was a great moment and then of course to see that the kid lived but she died like you said it's very um it's very bittersweet it's very emotional yeah. um but moments like that i feel like they're the best when they're all of those things if it was a hundred percent hopeful like if she had lived and the baby lived and everything was sweetness and light and he had this cure that you know within an hour was gonna be in the water table and everybody was gonna be fine even if it was at the tail end of the episode we watched him basically murder what seven eight nine people in the clinic earlier right. even if at the end they'd come up with this cure or whatever i don't think that the um the message would have resonated as much but the right. fact that this main character akoria dies like this right. um i think that really helped right. really helped to elevate this episode right yeah, yeah, her her character was really important to make it work alongside um, Trevorian. Uh, yeah, I'm oh, sorry, Tre Tre Trevian. Trevian. Um, Whatever. Yes, it's Star Trek. It's okay if you don't. It's not like you're pronouncing, <laughs> you know, uh, 
Sam wrong. You know, it's it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I I liked his character too in the sense that he is presenting the the argument about you know assisted suicide. You know, in in a, in a plausible scenario, this is a worldwide phenomenon, and they don't have a cure. It's been 200 years since they first dealt with this, and there's never been a cure since then. Um, there's no reason to think that would change now. And so, so what he's doing is he's giving people – again, the guy who we see die says this is the first time I've slept in a bed, uh, like had a bath or something. Like basically, right, yeah, that's what he says. This is the first time I've slept in the bed, that I've had a bath, that I'm wearing fresh, clean clothes. I'm surrounded by my family and friends for the first time, and I've got this – lavish meal i haven't eaten this yes. well in however long you know right. i haven't eaten this well in yeah i think he says i haven't eaten this well in a long time so right. like trevian is providing them with this total elevation of their status whatever it is right you know and right. again it just kind of to me hammers home the fact that i think these people just they weren't doing anything what drive do you have to maintain a home when you know you're gonna die why go to work right. every day when you know you're gonna die and even right. everything that we saw around them, they looked like it looked like they were living in a war zone, like they had just had a round of fighting. But we find out that you know the Jem'Hadar haven't really been around in quite a while. Right. They were more right. fearful of Bashir and Jadzia because they thought they might bring the Dominion back. Like the Dominion right. has forgotten all about them, basically, right. and they were afraid that they were going to bring them back. So, right. but yeah, they hadn't repaired anything. They hadn't fixed a building or whatever. Right. They were still just living in all of it. So, right. yeah, you know, and then here comes Trevian who's offering them, you know, normalcy, I guess, or a, right. a return to a type of life that they've kind of given up on right you know so yeah well it, i i like that it happens that way because bashir basically says looks like you're celebrating death like you're looking forward to death everyone's looking forward to death and that that makes sense if if the only time you ever get to sleep in a bed or experience a bath or a good meal is right before you die then mm -hmm. yeah as even uh again uh what's her name uh ikoria ikoria says like like even she was looking forward to her death, even um, because, yeah, like that's the only time we get to experience any sort of luxuries. And so, yeah, I can understand Bashir's kind of anger of like you seem to be making this worse <laughs> um, in some capacity. But he's not. He's trying to give people one last shred of dignity before they die. Uh, give them some comfort. Give them something before they finally um, pass on. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting argument about assisted assisted suicide in this sense, um, and it makes me. Uh, I'll just say it now. I think the Dominion and the Jim Hadar and the and the founders are effectively irredeemable at this point. <laughs> you did this to a whole culture because they wouldn't bend bend the knee, like essentially. I, yeah, I I mean, never say never. Maybe something will happen. We just had. An episode with the Jim Hadar last episode. We've had interesting Jim Hadar storylines, um, but man, gosh, this is this is such a this genocidal atrocity on an entire planet is is near on irredeemable. I don't know if there's anything that we would ever say is going to make the founders and anyone else, you know, oh, we're sorry for them. Well, maybe they can change. <laughs> Still, some justice needs to be served. Someone needs to get told off for this situation but i don't know we still got plenty of episodes left we'll i guess i'll see we do and i mean as the, you know they're kind of laying the groundwork here we've seen it a couple times now you know that the gem hadar are not as uh uniform as we were initially led to believe that they were these totally obedient soldiers we've seen a couple of instances now where they have kind of gone off you know a group of them anyway has gone off and done uh, their own thing so um you know it's entirely possible that we will see more of that or or that we will see um come into contact with more of these people who are you know ruined by the dominion in some form or fashion you know and again that's not the first time we've seen this let's not forget the episode with hanik and the various people her, her people who came through the wormhole 
looking for uh, Cantana and thought that Bajor was Cantana, and right. they were telling their story about how they were being oppressed until another group came in to oppress the oppressors. And during the you know scuffle, they all escaped. So uh, yeah, the Dominion has been you know messing stuff up for people for quite a while. This is the first time though that we're seeing it on such a such a well, you know, quite frankly, messed up scale. You know, you you gave them a disease, like yeah. You know, did you give them a disease? But like you obliterated their whole planet, and then you gave them a disease on top of it. So right, and As then an also example to other cultures, ah. right? And how messed up are you that you give them a disease that doesn't kill them with any kind of uniformity? They could have the disease and be like Trevian and a lifelong sufferer. And I mean, as far as anybody can tell, man's been living for decades with with this thing and obviously hasn't died versus other people they have it and then a couple months later dead you know um it just doesn't make any sense no predictability whatsoever which i mean just kind of goes to the fact that it's a you know an artificial uh virus you know but um yeah it's just uh Way to really add insult to injury. You destroyed their entire culture, way of life, their planet. You've made them, you've reduced them to nothing. And then you said, "Eh, on top of that, here's a, here's a little, you know, viral thing that's going to wipe you all out. Yeah. So, yeah, I would agree with that assessment. The, um, the, uh, Dominion is irredeemable at this point. So, um, yeah, well. (laughs) At least when the Borg, you know, take you in and at least they assimilate you into their own culture right (laughs) and and i mean depending on how you look at it they kind of make you better you know they don't augment you and make you weak you're stronger smarter faster than you were before you just can't control anything so i mean and apparently it can all be undone if if picard's situation is one to go off of uh, not just picard not just picard on voyager seven of nine she was assimilated as a child and raised by the borg and they still were able to get her out and uh return her to some kind of normal functionality there you know now her issue was that since she was raised by the borg she didn't really have a previous personality to base anything off of you know whereas picard obviously he had lived his whole life he was a fully formed, you know, man with experiences and whatever else to come back to when he was de-assimilated versus her. She was assimilated when she was like eight. So, you know, vastly different. But yeah, you know, who knows if you get picked up when you're, you know, 25, get assimilated. Somebody rescues you when you're, I guess, 30. So you spent five years as an assimilated drone. You come back with all kinds of knowledge and abilities and whatever else, and you get to just go back to your life. Right. Yeah. And you probably live longer, too, because they probably replace all of your broken down, damaged parts with hot, new, better than ever Borg parts. No doubt. No doubt. (laughs) I don't know. Assimilation. Might need to get me some of that. <laughs> wow. Never thought I heard you say that before. But hey, okay. you know what? I'm just saying. You know, Just think of it this way. It's a great vacation. You used to just turn your brain off for a while, go to wild exotic locations. You get a massive physical upgrade. You make a bunch of friends. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, then you come That's home. That's the biggest draw right there. There you go. It's the friends. And from what we see of Picard, they're with you forever. So, there you go. Oh, my goodness. Well, any final thoughts on the quickening before we wrap everything up? Oh, wait. We do have some final thoughts. Before we get to final thoughts, we have to talk about Quark and his advertisements. <laughs> the the best little jingle ever. Come to Quark's Quark is fun. Don't just walk. Run. <laughs> It did rhyme. And then uh, when Worf has the cup. Oh, yeah. Worf comes in. When he he turns it it to the side. Yeah. It does the jingle. (laughs) He comes in. He's like, you. I don't know how you did it. (laughs) On the Dominion's replicators. Not just the stations, but the Defiance. Yes. Yeah. And Kira's got a nice little threat for him, too. I I will come to Quark's. And I will have fun. fun. <laughs> yeah. Funny little moment. Oh, great. I I you know, I, 
I feel like they do those the best when everything that comes after it is going to be some pretty intense subject matter. Those moments are the, the funniest. After that, it's like they can't make a whole episode of that because it's just, yeah, it's it's not Star Trek, you know. At least not then. I mean, now if you watch Lower Decks, Lower Decks is nothing but and and craziness, but it's it's fun. Hopefully Quark gets all those out. Uh, I do know that for a while there, you could buy those mugs. And um, it had oh. Quark's face on it. And it did that. You know, you turned it over and it played the little jingle and whatever else. You could buy them. I don't know if they still exist. I bet you that would be a great Amazon, Etsy, eBay. Is eBay even still a thing? Yeah. I must okay. on eBay. Okay, so probably one of those places would have one of those um, that you could get, you know, or, or heck, now, penny. well, I was going to say, heck, with the way things are going now, you could probably just make one yourself. You can download the <laughs> audio file. I'm serious. You can That's download true. the audio file right now. It's completely free, right, yeah. and 3D print yourself a mug, style it up however you want to, and get yourself one of those little, you know, sound boxes, you yeah. know, USB it in there, yeah. and you're good. You're yep. good. So yeah, you can probably make one yourself far cheaper than trying to hunt through Amazon or eBay to find one. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, I'm going to be joining some friends in a couple of weeks for a, a board game. Apparently it's a pretty big board game. It takes a long time. It's called Twilight Imperium. And the friend of mine, he has a 3D printer and he mm-hmm. makes a full like five, six inch little trophy that he gives out to whoever wins whenever people play. So he's like, hey, guys, you can win the trophy. Then send a little picture out. This is the trophy you can win. Uh, I don't know how much it costs to make a 3D printed object like that because it seems pretty hefty. For I mean, it's like hollow, I guess. But mm-hmm. anyway, but yeah. So yeah, 3D printed objects. Those are well, I think. I mean, I, I'm so. sure that it's still, you know, expensive, but it's not nearly as expensive as it used to be. I've, I've seen that costs for 3D printers and materials have uh, dropped pretty significantly now that they've become kind of, you know, seemingly ubiquitous, you know. So right. um, as kind of with anything, the more that it's out there, then, you know, and the, the less the demand, therefore, right. you know, so forth. So I think we'll eventually see a, por- a point where, like everything else, it'll reach kind of like its stable going price and, you know, get yourself a good one. And then it's just a matter of getting the right materials for whatever it is you want to do. So um, who knows? Maybe in a couple of years, instead of putting together a giant enterprise, I'll just 3D print me several different other types of uh, (laughs) ships. Screw ordering month-to-month kits or whatever. Just 3D print me uh, Defiant, you know? There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. (laughs) <laughs> well, all right. Um, again, final thoughts on the quickening. Yeah, uh, good episode. Uh, Bashir goes through some stuff in order to grow as a character. Bittersweet. Yeah, two more episodes okay. left in season four. That's right. And then we'll be into season five. And I think that what I want to do for that is I'm going to hold off on starting the fifth book, but that I will start the fifth book with the fifth season. So okay. five and five. That'll give, you know, nice little bit of symmetry there. Nice. Um, now, when it comes to all things Trek, as we've said before, pretty much everything is off the air except for Lower Decks. They're into the third episode of the fourth season. That just came out. So you can watch that. Well, by the time this airs uh, on our podcast, anyway, uh, the fourth episode of the fourth season will be out. Um, all the other shows are done. Um the next one that's supposed to be released will be the final season of Discovery. But when it comes to any of the other shows, they're all up in the air thanks to the writer's strike that is still going on. Um, brief update on the writer's strike. We have had a couple of celebrities cross the picket line and are into official scab status, um, run, doing their shows and stuff again. Um, I saw the news recently, and it was Drew Barrymore and Bill. Is it Bill Maher? Bill yeah, Maher, so. Bill Maher. He's a he's got a talk show of some you know, yeah. um, whatever. So those two are now officially going back to work on their shows, Sands Writers, and um, yeah, they've given their own various reasonings behind it. But as anybody who's involved, they're basically on scab status. So I haven't totally looked into what their yeah. reasons were for why they've decided to go and do their show again. But that's what I heard it was those two Bill were announced Maher- and. 
Yeah. I remember Bill Maher had said, he was like, look, I got a whole crew of like, you know, people like behind the, like, like the, the, the people who run like the te- the, the cameras and all that, those people need work. I won't do like my monologues or the stuff that would have been part of the written end of the show. So he's like doing just the interview stuff that he does, I guess. Mm. I never watched the show before. I just see clips of his stuff sometimes, but um, he was saying that basically there are other people who are not part of the writer's guild who need work. And so I'll give them a chance to have work by doing this. So we'll see how that plays out. This has been going on for five months now. I, yeah, I, you know, I, We've talked about it a little bit, and we don't have to go into more detail now because we can wrap up. But I just find it really interesting because I feel like there's there's so many el- like moving parts, so many elements. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there are arguments for why each side is being intransigent, but like I mean, at some point, someone's got to break. I mean, five months in—that's a long time. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I I feel the same way. Like, I feel like there's so much that's going on that it's almost impossible to track every single argument on both sides i do feel like um i side more with the writers um in this because they're the ones who are obviously creating the work and you know they want to be credited for their work and i I think everybody agrees that you should be credited for your work um i don't think there's anybody who's ever like no i'm gonna work forever on this thing and you don't have to pay me like no no one's ever said that um, so I, I agree with with that, but I don't know what the other side of it a hundred percent is. So, right. um, but yeah, I just hope that it does get resolved soon because that giant white void of nothing is approaching ever closer. And uh, yeah, that will be um, that'll be an interesting moment when there's nothing. And year I almost, almost want to see it. The year of the rewatch. <laughs> that will, yes, that will exactly be it. The year that you either rewatch or you cross platforms or you do all these things because uh, there's no, your your favorite show is not new. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, all right, guys, I think that's going to do it for us tonight on this episode of The Fire Caves. You can find us on all the social platforms now we are back on x we are back on x wow that's terrible um uh, twitter all of it we're, we're there um you can also listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts i happen to do it on spotify so until next week guys and we're talking about the episode body parts take care of yourselves thanks guys <laughs>